0: Welcome to open house. You made it. Give yourselves a hand. You made it here. We are capping off our 21 days of consecration, prayer, and fasting. How many of you have found that time to be fruitful spiritually, emotionally? I will let you know we had testimonies. We, we had a, a night of worship here on Friday that was absolutely amazing. And we have heard testimony after testimony at this point of God doing absolute miracles. From babies resurrected in the womb who were thought to be a, a miscarriage and are now thriving and alive. To insomnia that was plaguing people for years. That now they're sleeping for the first time in years to people with digestive issues that doctors said, we're not quite sure. We hope after multiple surgeries to doctors saying, I know you're a praying person. I don't know what to tell you other than I guess God heard your prayer because your baby's better. Yeah. Yeah. All sorts of cool stuff. I say that to say God is very much still in the miracle working business. And if you are in need of a miracle, before you leave today, I mean, before you, you walk out there and enjoy some free food and get to connect, we would love to pray with you and let God do his thing. We're not anything super special, but we love God and we believe him and we've watched him do it already. So encourage you to, uh, to respond, to give God a shot. We're in the midst of a series called Who We Are. Everybody say, Who We Are. We're kind of going through our core heart as a church. By the way, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's nice to meet you. I didn't even introduce myself. Uh, This sermon is all about our, our core heart, who we are, who it is that we long to be. Very apropos for the moment as you join us here for Open House to get a feel for who we are. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about the supernatural provision and power that God has given you and I to thrive in the ways that he intended emotionally and spiritually and in our relationships. If you've had questions about the Holy Spirit, if you've always wondered about the Holy Spirit and you missed last week, highly encourage you to check it out on our YouTube channel or our podcast, Search Greenhouse South Florida, and you will find it there this week. I want to talk about the one defining factor that delineates the way of Jesus or Christianity from every other major world religion. It is the, the crossroads moment. It is the defining point of the way of Jesus. And we're going to dialogue about it now. So if you'd stand your feet with me just as a way to read and honor God's word together online over there in Guyana. Guyana's got a Hope in house. Everybody say, what's up, Guyana? We've got our Guyana crew joining as well. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we will begin in verse 1. I would say it was quite miraculous, Dolphins fans, that we competed to the extent that we did with a third string backup QB. Yeah, yeah, much to be proud of. The future is bright. Let's get a really big helmet for Tua. Like, can we just like, you know those big hats that are in style? Do they make helmets like that? That would be glorious. Anyways, not the point. If you're ready to dive into the words, say, let's go. All right. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead. There's a peppy intro. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He sort of levels the playing field here, speaking to humans. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, er, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, everybody say all of us. We're all in the same boat here. All of us also lived among them at one point, at one time, gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, following its desires and its thought. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love, this is such good news, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by, what does it say? Grace. That's a great word. Gracia. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, reveal to us afresh and remind us again about the potency, power, and necessity of your grace. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. turn to your neighbor. You can give them a high five as you find your seat. It's going to be a good day. My wife and I have been privileged. We absolutely love our neighbors. Anybody here love your neighbors? Anybody here like, "Man, I got the best neighbors in the world. Anybody here know your neighbors? <laughs> so we're like, I feel attacked. OK, I get it, the modern reality of garage door closing, right? But, but my wife, Nancy and I, we moved into our first home a couple years ago, and our neighborhood is just awesome. We do a bunch of stuff together. Uh, We'll do block parties. We'll do cornhole tournaments. We'll do, we'll get together and watch football games. I mean, it's just glorious. And a couple of weeks ago during the college football playoffs, uh, we had a, a neighborhood cornhole tournament. And so we were sitting out there connecting with our neighbors, eating some food. Everyone brings a dish and we're watching TV outside. We set up, have a whole little setup that our, one of our neighbors does. And so we're out there and one of our neighbors begins to tell a tale. And, and I felt like it reflected the moment that we live in culturally. She's like, man, I had a crazy experience today at Publix. I'm like, Please share. She's like, I, I was there and everyone was kind of getting ready for the, for the big games and everyone's, you know, getting their stuff ready for their potluck or whatever they're doing. And, and uh, I was getting ready to pull into a parking spot and this guy flies in from the other direction er, and like jumps in front of me. She's like, and I was like, okay, all right, cool. Like, you know, there's a big enough parking lot. Like, you can find one. And uh, she's like, I was like, that's, that's crazy. And she's like, well, that wasn't the worst part. She's like, he gets out of his car. I'm just like waiting, ready to go along. And, and this is probably, she's probably in her late 60s, mid to late 60s and a sweet lady, but not like a foreboding presence, right? She's just in her car. And she said, the guy gets out of his car, walks up to her window and goes, She's like, "Okay, tough guy." <laughs> like, it's a middle-aged man like bowing up to this this lady this like almost grandma and and she's like, "It was so weird." And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I actually don't think that's weird. I actually think that's indicative of the age in which we live. If you live or work in the service industry right now, as I've talked to friends who are in the service industry, I was like, hey, how has the pandemic, like, has it changed anything now that we're kind of in this post-pandemic era, kind of pandemic-y, whatever, endemic, whatever it's called. Have people changed, and the unanimous piece of feedback is, oh yeah. Here's how they've changed, over and over and over, I've heard it. People just seem less Gracious. They're they're more prone to be upset, they're more demanding, they have higher expectations, they're way less merciful and understanding than they used to be. People, we, I need you to understand, we live in an age of anti-grace. We live in the bow up at the lady who you thought was trying to take your parking spot, weird flex age. We live in an age of anti-grace. The age that we live in right now, it is merciless. And it is shame evoking. We live in an age in which if you cross me, then you're dead to me forever. We live in this kind of age. It destroys this era, this moment in which we live. It destroys our relationship with people because when there's no room for grace, the only ones who thrive and survive are the perfect ones, which equates to nobody. Oh, that was a bad song. Y'all don't- <laughs> Your pastor's got to pass. All right, nobody, right? Nobody. But if we're not careful, we do not merely inflict this on other people. If not careful, we drag this into our relationship with God. This is the problem of religion. My guess would be if I polled the majority of us in this room watching online over in Guyana, if we were asked, do not consider ourselves to be religious people. We're probably more inclined to say we're spiritual or we believe in having a connection or a relationship with God. Why? Because we have experienced many of us or we know some of us that religion has a way of destroying everything. So, when we talk about religion, what I'm talking about is law. The major world religions, some of you know I'm from a Jewish background, the major world religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, if you just take it at the religious layer, it's about law. What it's really about is hoping that your good outweighs your bad. Hoping that your effort and your goodness can in some way earn you right standing with God. You hope that your good outweighs your bad. Now, if we're merely thinking about actions, I don't think I would qualify, but y'all are really great. So maybe some of you would. But if you take a holistic view of humanity with your good outweighing your bad, meaning it's not just about your actions, but about your thoughts as well. How many of us qualify for good outweighing bad? Nobody. Nobody. What ends up happening, or let's say you have a very high value of self, and you're like, no, I think in my whole personhood, if it came down to my energies and my efforts, I think between my actions and my thoughts that my good outweighs my bad. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met somebody? Don't look at your spouse or your neighbor right now. Have you ever met somebody that felt like in their own goodness and efforts, they earned religious perfection? How was your experience with that person? They probably weren't the one that you were inviting over to watch a game and enjoy a potluck, right? Here's the problem with religion. Here's the problem with doing everything we can in our own efforts and energies. Here's the problem with white-knuckling our lives to hope that maybe we can make our way up to the mountain and reach God. Either we feel like we accomplish it in our efforts and we become absolutely prideful and spiritually narcissistic, or... We have what I would argue is a more accurate view of self and we wallow in despair and dejection because we know there's no way we could accomplish it on our own. Thank God, literally, there is another option. Turn to your neighbor and say, grace, grace. Turn to your other neighbor and say it in Spanish, gracia, not gracias, that means thank you, but without the S, gracia, grace. Here's my big idea and I want to unpack it together. And then we'll celebrate and enjoy our time after service. Here's my big idea. Our souls were made to be amazed by grace. Our souls were meant to be amazed by grace. Two stopping points along the way. The first one is this. We are saved by grace. You ever done something and then afterwards wondered, what in the world was I thinking? Anybody ever done that before? Okay, like seven of y'all. Okay, cool. So I'm going to go ahead and throw myself under the bus because I've done that. Uh, Actually, not too long ago. It was a few weeks ago. I grew up uh, loving sports, enjoying sports, playing sports, and uh, I still do in the midst of the pandemic. I realize that as I get older, my pounds do not simply disappear and I can't really eat everything I wanted anymore. And so I'm like... I need to do some cardio, and I don't quite understand the running thing, because I'm like, who's, who's chasing you? I don't, whatever, I don't get it, so I'm like, I gotta play a sport, and so I started playing hockey again, I played hockey all my life, and uh, played in college at the University of Florida, Go Gators, God's favorite institution, not the point, whatever, so I was like, I gotta play some hockey, and so I'm now out there playing hockey, um, it, hockey, the hockey world is not exactly a world that is like a bastion of godliness and Christendom, Um, not, not exactly. Right. And so I'm pretty sure I'm like the only pastor in the entire league, but I'm out there playing and, um, you know, I'm like, this would be a great chance to just connect with people, get some good workouts in. And I'm, I'm there trying to like, just, you know, love, love on people, connect, whatever, pray with people, whatever. So I'm out there playing hockey and, um, and we're there and it's in the middle of the game. This was a few weeks ago. And, uh, this is kind of embarrassing. I'm starting to think about what I'm about to say. I'm like, this is going to be very humbling. So anyways, I'm out there playing hockey and we're, we're on the boards and it's a physical sport, right? And so we're on the boards and I'm blocking the puck and the guy that's there on the other team, he just loses it. And so he starts checking me, hitting me, whatever, doing stuff. So I'm there, I'm like, yo, chill, chill. And I just, reflexes kicked in. Poof, I just headlocked the dude. <laughs> Boom. And then the Holy Spirit's like, nice. What are you going to do now, pastor? <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, I'm trying to reach some of these guys. Like some of them know what I do. Most of them don't. But I'm like, you got pastor John with buddy in a headlock. Like, what am I going to do? So the guy chills out. He kind of stops. I kind of stop. I let go of him. We both get penalties. Obviously he got a penalty for cross-checking or whatever. I got a penalty for headlocking. I don't know what I got a penalty for. So we're going to the penalty box. The guy's like, man, I'm sorry, bro. I kind of lost it there. Like I, just, I was like, no, nah, man, you're good. Don't worry about it. I like everybody. And I just remember, I was one of the guys I've gotten a chance to connect with and pray with, he's just a good dude and comes from a mixed religious background. We've had lots of conversations about spirituality. So he was like, John, that was an interesting moment there. I was like, saved by grace. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, I guess clap, sure, maybe, I don't know. I didn't fight the guy at least, so there's that. We're saved by grace. Thank God. The question is, we're saved from what headlocking, right? We're, we're saved from scripture tells us we're saved from our sinful actions and our sinful nature. If you've ever like myself, like I'm sure many of us can relate to, if you've ever done something, thought something, engaged in something, been stuck in a habit and thought to yourself, I don't want to do this thing anymore. And yet you just keep doing it. And you can't understand why. And you're kind of racking your brain. The Bible has an answer for why. It's what's called not just sin actions, but the sinful nature. When sin entered into the picture, contrary to God's original design and construction, it bends our will in a direction that we were not intended to go. And so quite literally, it is not a lack of effort that prohibits us from accomplishing all that God has made us for. It is that we are literally trapped spiritually. We're stuck. If left to our own devices, there is no hope. Which is why God sent Jesus full of grace and truth. This is where the Bible is so helpful in that it speaks honestly to the human experience. How do we deal with the reality that many of us have much better intentions than we're able to deliver in real life, especially consistently? It's because we need not just religion. We need God's grace. Scripture says we need a new nature. We need a new mindset, a new heart, new desires, new motivations. We quite literally, you and I, like the scripture says, all of us need a factory reset from the manufacturer himself given by grace through faith. We are saved by grace. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor John, what about mercy? Like, I've heard this other word mercy correlated in in spiritual circles, mercy and grace. And and I want to unpack that because while these words are correlated, they are unique and distinct in their function. Here's the difference between mercy and grace. Let's say that my mom, Jamie Lash, robbed a bank. It's always the people you least expect, right? Let's say my mom robbed a bank, and, uh, and she, was, she was doing a thing, and obviously she's not very good at it, so she gets caught robbing a bank, and she gets thrown in prison. Mercy would be my ma. That is awesome. That is awesome. I'm going to be in so much trouble. We'll roll with it. Mercy, mom, if you're wa- when you're watching, have mercy on me, okay, mom? Mercy would be that my mo- they come to my mom, they say, hey, listen, you were so bad at this crime. You literally accomplished nothing. You didn't even have a gun. You just walked in and said, give me, like, mercy would say, we're not going to give you the prison time or the jail time that you earned. Mercy is not getting the consequences that you deserve. Tracking with me? That's amazing. We could sing songs about that. Amazing mercy, how sweet the sound. But grace is like mercy on steroids. If mercy is not getting the consequences or jail time that you deserve, (laughs) grace is them saying, you know what? (laughs) That's even better. (laughs) Grace is like saying, you know what? Not only are we not going to throw you in prison, we're going to give you a yacht with some dollar bills and we're going to go have a blast. You're going to get, it's going to be a Mercy is not getting the negative consequences that you deserve. Grace is not getting the good things that you don't deserve. You guys see the difference? Mercy, you're not going to jail. Oh, thank you, God. Grace is, oh, and by the way, all that money that you were trying to steal, we decided we're just going to give it to you. How stunning, how bizarre would that be? You would be in the spot to be like, wait, 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 what? I clearly don't deserve this. I clearly have not earned this. This makes no logical sense. Why in the world would you be so good to me when I deserve such bad? That, my friends, is grace. And until you feel it like that, you haven't heard it right yet. Until something in you wells up that's almost a cognitive dissonance of, there's no way that's true because I know what I deserve and it's bad. And not only am I not getting bad, but I'm getting immeasurably good. There's no way. Welcome to amazing grace. Yeah. We were created for it. Now, I think many of us in this room, many of us online, many of us over in Guyana, we understand this component, but I think we miss it here. Point number one, we are saved by grace, but point number two, we are changed by grace. Now, this is crucial. This is where we end up often spiritually going off the rails. This is where we often end up sitting frustrated, not because of God, but because of us and our approach. Listen to the words of Paul to Titus in Titus 2. He says this, for the grace of God, now listen, key in, the grace of God has appeared and it offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Paul says it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness not effort, not striving, not internal inherent goodness and religiosity. It is the grace of God. We are saved by grace and we are changed by grace. Now here's our dilemma. Maybe you can relate to this, I know I sure can. It is so tempting to start a race in effort realize quickly it's exhausting and it's futile and you can't do it. Respond to the amazing grace of God and say, oh, thank you, Lord. I couldn't do it. I couldn't earn it. Like we just sang, but you gave your life. Oh, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden you grab the wheel once again and say, and now God, I'm going to show you, you picked the right one on your team. And it's so tempting to start a race in grace and somehow, without even realizing it, shift to effort and earning. Listen to this. This is our heartbeat from our core docs. This is what we have penned and deeply mean and long to be. Hear our heart here. We are justified by grace through faith, and we are sanctified by grace through faith. I'll explain those two words right here. Perhaps the greatest theological contribution of the Protestant Reformation was the second of these two, and perhaps the greatest theological challenge of most believers is precisely this. Although they believe that the grace of God is enough to justify or forgive and pardon them the work of Jesus on the cross, they functionally believe that future growth and progress will be the result of their hard work and striving. In other words, Jesus got this ball rolling, but I'll have to take it from here. Please don't miss this. When we allow our sanctification, this is the ongoing progress that God is working in our souls of becoming more and more like Jesus. When we allow our sanctification to feed on our justification or the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we thrive. But when the opposite occurs and we base the stability of our justification or right standing with God on the instability of our sanctification, the ongoing process by God's grace and his spirit, we fall deeper into sin despair. It was the unmerited favor and work of Jesus that saved us. And it is the unmerited favor and work of Jesus that grows us. Our teaching will clearly involve moral imperatives and instruction. Yet it must find its roots in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the ongoing work of Jesus through his spirit. Gospel freedom. Not legalistic guilt. Is a fuel for every call to obedience and mission. We are saved by Grace. It's beautiful. It's profound. It's game-changing, and it's true. Let me put this into everyday terms to hopefully help this deep theological construct sink into our hearts in a way that might be easier for memory recall. How many of you in this room like to run? Any runners at right, one time? I don't know who's chasing you, but good for you, that's good. My wife likes to run. Um, let's imagine that you decided that you would go for a run and, um, you had to get from here to let's say California. And you're like, bet I'm a run, right? Let's take this as an operating metaphor for religion for just a moment. So you decide here to California. Great. I'm a run. I've done a marathon before. How hard can it be? And you just take off. You got your little running shoes on your Brooks or Ciccones or whatever you wear. And you're just, you're just going. And so you, you start going and, and you get a couple hours in and you've got your little hydration camel pack thing and you've got all your stuff and you're going and, and you're you're a couple hours in and you start waning. And do you think you're gonna make it by the way to California? Anyone think you're gonna make it to California? No. Okay. So you're going there, but you're dead set on you, you can do it. And so you're on your way there, and, and you just you are about to pass out, drop dead, all your water's gone, all your food is gone, like you're done, it's game over, and then pff, along comes a vehicle at your side, and it's probably your mom, because let's be honest, we're all still here alive. Mom, and listen to this. I'm still alive because you were praying for me. I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole here. And um, so a car comes up alongside of you, and they're like, hey, you need a ride? And you're like, you can't even get a word out. And they bring you into the vehicle. They've got hydration there for you, probably an IV at that point. They've got some food. They give you everything that you need, and you are just so worn out, you just pass out in the car. And they continue to drive you on your journey, right? You tracking with this analogy? And then let's say that after a few hours of rest and rejuvenation, you're feeling good, you're hydrated, you wake up, and you're like, hey, where are we at? And they're like, oh, we're about in the panhandle, or Zach would call it Lower Mississippi. And you're like, okay, cool. And so you're there in the panhandle, Alabama, Lower Alabama. All right, got it. There we go. Lower Alabama. Got it. All right, so you're there. and You're like, all right, cool. Um, this sounds great. I think I'm going to take it from here. And you jump out of the car, and you start running again. What's going to happen? You're going to die. Somebody said, you're going to end up in that same spot over and over and over again. You're probably going to break some bones. You're going to destroy some muscles. You're going to rip up your body. You're going to live in a perpetual state of frustration because you have decided I can do this in my effort and earning after experiencing the contrary. Here's the point of this analogy. The vehicle that rescued you is the same vehicle that'll get you to your destination. And yet so often when it comes to faith and spirituality, we live that exact crime. I mean, if you think about it in the natural, it's crazy, right? You're like crazy person. That's who would try something like that. And yet how often are we guilty of doing that exact thing spiritually and with God? This is what Paul is, it's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God that grows us. It's the grace of God that saves us, not of worse, like anyone should boast. And it's the grace of God that changes us to become who we were ultimately created to be. We are saved by grace and we are sanctified or changed by grace. You're like, John, how would I know if I'm slipping into effort and earning rather than grace? Who's the hero of the story? That's a simple way of thinking about it. The the nature of the gospel is that God is always the hero of the story. It's not our abilities. It's not our effort. It's not our goodness. It's not our fervor. It's not our zeal. It's not our prayer. It's not our fasting. It's not our love. It is God. It is grace. And so if you find yourself in an area of life where you're beginning to look at you as the hero whether it's your effort, your abilities, your goodness, your religious zeal, your fervor, it should be a big warning sign that you are in danger of breaking down on the road. You have jumped out of the car and started to run to California. Call the Uber. Get back in the vehicle. God, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I lost my mind. I'm going with grace. You guys tracking with me here? It's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God that changes us. By the way, this is distinct and different from religion. Religion teaches that if you mean it enough, you can get everything together. You can sort of spiritually pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen, which means you either feel like you're accomplishing that and you get self-righteous and prideful, or you know that you're failing at that and you wallow in despair. And until we are amazed by grace, friends, we do not change, at least not in a permanent way. Point number one, we are saved by grace Point number two, we are changed by grace, but this last point is crucial. Point number three, grace is a gift that must be received. Turn your neighbor and say, it's true. It's true. Grace is a gift that must be received grace is a gift my wife and i nancy we have two children our oldest liam is six our youngest lucia is three and these kids are precious thank god above these kids at least right now get along fairly well and so they enjoy playing with one another and they'll go out in the backyard and play and have fun and it's awesome but every now and then you know the the, the carnality of things kick in and they'll be arguing and complaining and one of the things that baffles me the most though is when they brag about stuff that they did not buy Y'all, parents know what I'm talking about? Like, Lucy would be like, ah, they start doing the Nanana Boo Boo thing, which, how has that survived this long? I have no idea. We didn't teach them that, but it's Nanana Boo Boo, and they're like, ah, and they get all mad and upset, and Lucy's bragging about this lollipop, or Liam's bragging about this toy, and I'm like, y'all, how much money do you have in your bank account? None. Everything is dad's. I'm like, this is crazy. How crazy would it be to brag about something yet you did not purchase, right? Exactly. Exactly. This is what Paul's saying. Look at Ephesians two verse eight. He says, for it is by grace, the unmerited favor and gift of God that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It is a what gift from God, not by works, effort or earnings so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. If we're not careful, we look like little Liam and Lucia bragging to our siblings about a toy that we did not even purchase. It was simply a gift. A lot of times they get a gift just because I love them, not because they earned it. See, nothing kills relationships like boasting. Am I right? Nothing kills a relationship like arrogance and pride. Nothing kills a relationship like a feeling of entitlement. This is why we need amazing grace. When I live by anti-grace, I'm prone to boasting when I'm performing well or despairing when I'm performing poorly, which is why we need grace. Check this. Because grace, gracia, leads to gracias. Grace leads to gratitude. That was kind of like a bilingual point that I didn't intend. I really like that, actually. Grace leads to gratitude. This is interesting. Um... I sort of geek out on on secular brain science, cognitive neuroscience, and what we're finding about the brain because we're stumbling on realities that God's known for thousands of years because he designed them in us. And we think we're we're very elevated in our thinking. And God's like, yeah, who do you think made that? And um, here's what we're learning from cognitive neuroscience. We're learning that gratitude, beginning your day or ending your day with gratitude, has massive human flourishing components to anybody who lives in that way. So if people live their life with intention to begin their day in gratitude or to end their day in gratitude, they flourish emotionally, they flourish in in terms of mental health, all of these different things. When we can think of things to be grateful for, we thrive, which is why we need grace because grace leads to gratitude. This applies to us and God and how we relate and interact with God. This also applies to our relationship with people as well. Here's what I need you to get. Your relationships need grace. If we're not careful in our relationships, we construct our relationships in the era that we live in, which is an era of religion and law. You do better, I'll do better. You do worse, I'll do worse. It's back and forth, it's law, it's action-based. Your relationships, though, if you're here and you're not yet a Jesus follower, and you're like, man, it it all seems so theoretical, pie in the sky, oh, I assure you, it is absolutely life-changing for eternity and in the here and now. Your relationships, it's not just your soul that needs grace. Your relationships need grace. Why? Because when grace enters a relationship, everything becomes a gift. And when you have received a gift, the response is one of gratitude versus entitlement. And we've all experienced this to be true. Relationships, roommates, friendships, family members, marriages thrive in gratitude and wither in entitlement. Amen? When we become people who receive and operate and live out of the grace of God, we are able to experience a reality that not just transform our perspective of God as a good gift giver full of mercy and love, but trans- transforms our perspectives of ourselves, ones who have been gifted grace and a get-out-of-jail-free card and, and money in the bank that we did not deserve. And when you are operating in grace with God, guess what you're more prone to do with people? Give grace. Mercy, undeserved favor. Here's the application for this week. I I would love for us to be people that get increasingly fluent at living out this reality where we gaze at the gift of amazing grace on the cross until it moves you to gratitude. I know a lot of us in this room, maybe online, maybe in Guyana, you've heard it so many times. You're like, yeah, 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 I know. Jesus died on the cross. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it doesn't move you like the pictures of my mom in jail move you. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. If it doesn't move you like, wait, I should be doing that. And then if it doesn't move your heart with a, I cannot believe that. Hold on a second. Look at it again. Ask God to soften your heart to a point that it does. Gaze at the gift of amazing grace on the cross until it moves you to gratitude. Why? Because gratitude with God usually translates to gratitude with people as well. If we were to become those who are fluent in the language of grace, if we were to become those who are not those who boast because we received a gift from God and we can't even boast, it was a gift from him, his mercy, guess what? We are going to be those type of people that lavish and begin to lavish grace on other people. Your relationships need grace. Grace will save a soul. Grace will save a marriage. Grace will save the worst of situations. The relation, I'm telling you, the the relationships that you, that me, that we have always wanted are found on the other side of our fully embracing of this principle of amazing grace. But grace is a gift that must be received. I was reminded again of a story this week that that absolutely melts my heart every time I hear it. It's a story of a girl who, who grew up, her mom and dad loved her very much, but her mom had been severely burned and disfigured in a fire when she was just a little baby, and... She knew this. She loved her mom when she was a little kid. It didn't really impact her that much, but as she began to move into adolescence and the teenage years, as we tend to do, she grew increasingly self-conscious. And that self-consciousness also applied to her mother. This experience sort of culminated her freshman year of high school. She had made it on the cheerleading team, and she was at a competition, and she was there cheering, and, and she noticed at one of her events, her mom there in the crowd, the girl said, we locked eyes and her mom was probably thinking it was going to be this special moment. She kind of, she acknowledged that her mom saw her, she saw her. And and when they had their first break, the daughter went beeline it for her mom. She said, mom, and her mom was ready for this great moment. And she said, mom, why are you here? Mom, you embarrass me. The the, the way you look, your face, it's it's just an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment, mom. Can you please just go? And the mom was crushed, as you can imagine. The mom leaves the gym. The daughter said she obviously started feeling bad. That was not her best moment, not her, by any stretch of the imagination. So she felt horrible. So she gets home, and her dad's waiting for her, and she's she's ready for the conversation, and her mom is just in tears. She's, she's distraught. And the dad says, hey, I, I know you've known about your mom's accident and the burns that she received, but it's time that you know why. He said, when you were just a little girl, there was a fire at the house and... And everything happened so quickly and one section of the house collapsed and we realized in the midst of the chaos at some point that you had been trapped in the fire and at that point the firefighters were not able to and they, people were trying to figure out what to do and your mom before anyone could figure out the plan of action. She said that's my baby girl and she ran into the house and she saved your life. He said, what you have not realized up until this point is that those legs that you jump with are a gift from your mother. And those arms that you wave and these cheers are a gift from your mother. And those lungs that fill up with air where you're able to exercise and run and jump and play are a gift for your mother. He said, and I need you to understand that this gift was given to you, but it was costly for her. And her scars are not her scars, they're yours. That gift cost your mom everything. The girl says from that point, she was never the same. See, grace is a gift, but it's a gift that must be received. I realized that not all gifts are created equal, and many of us have received free gifts and conferences and other places, and there were things that we were not looking for, and if we're being quite honest, they were kind of cheap. Here's what I need you to understand. Grace is a free gift, but it is deeply and deeply costly and expensive. This idea of grace and becoming increasingly fluent in grace. It's so deep and profound and amazing. It's a pool that that never ends. You could dive into it for your entire life and never hit the bottom. And yet it is so simple that even a child can grasp it in its profundity. Here's what I need you to know. Grace lets you know with assurance that you are loved by God. If you're here in the room. If you're watching online, if you're over in Guyana, I need you to hear this and hear it clearly. You are loved by God. Well, John, if God only knew, he does. Well, John, I I knew better and I shouldn't have, I know. Well, John, if I only did, no, listen to me. You are loved by God. How do I know? Because God so loved the world that he sent his son And he lived the life that we were required to live. And he died the death that we deserved. And his scars are not his scars. They're yours. They're ours. It's his goodness. It's his grace. You are loved by God. Not because you deserve it. Not because you earned it. Because you are. And God in his great love and mercy offers you this morning. Whenever you're watching this, forgiveness. Fresh start, freedom and right standing with God, only available by grace through faith. But this grace must be received. This gift must be acknowledged and received. In Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to offer grace, forgiveness and a fresh start. And if you have not made that decision already, I'm praying that you do so today. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you that you're here, that you're moving in this place and in this space. And I ask that right now by your spirit, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, right now, all around the room. For those watching online, for those joining us from Guyana, God, would you move and speak by your spirit and convict and convince us of your kindness and amazing grace. Show us our need. Remind us of the futility of our efforts and earning and striving in our own power. Lord, we know it doesn't work. Remind us in this moment. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just a moment of quiet and concentration this is between you and God we, we so severely lack in our fast-moving modern world moments to pause and take inventory of the inside of our soul health if you're here this morning if you're watching online and you have been trying by works effort and earning to accomplish right standing with God, and you realize this morning, it is futile. I am done, I am tired, I give up. Pastor John, I hear you. I don't need any more convincing. I need grace, that's what I need. Here's the great news. It is available to you right now. It is available to you in this moment. It is available to you today through faith in Jesus as Lord, leader, savior, and forgiver. You say, what do I do? You ask for it. Wherever you're at right now, in the room, online, in Guyana, you can pray a prayer from your own heart along these lines. Jesus, I need your help. I receive your grace. I I can't do this on my own. I surrender. You you got me. I need you. I want to follow your path. I want to follow your way. I want to receive your grace. You're the Lord. You're the leader, you're the CEO of my life. I'm following your lead, I'm taking your cues. I'm done doing it on my own. There's another group that is represented today and maybe you have been saved and rescued by the grace of God, but at some point you've realized that you've shifted into effort and earning and you've been striving to change with your own power and grit and determination. And you're tired, you're frustrated. You're beginning to lose hope. Here's the great news. Hear Jesus's invitation, come to you, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest for your soul. That's grace language. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want to invite you to receive deeply afresh the grace of God. Say, God, I recognize areas of my life where I'm still falling short, where I'm still missing the mark, where I am not where I want to be and where I know you want me to be. But God, I can't do it on my own. I need your grace. Like Titus says your grace that teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts to live uprightly. God, teach me by your grace. Why don't we stand to our feet and if I can get our prayer partners, some of our microchurch leaders and prayer partners to line the front here. We're going to close out together singing one final chorus of worship before we end service And, and I want to invite you if what you've heard this morning is resonating in your heart, I want to invite you to respond. And we've got a great group up here, different backgrounds, different walks of life who have experienced one common reality, the grace of God. They're not going to judge you. They really just want to encourage you and pray for you. If what you heard this morning is resonating in your heart, you don't quite know what to do with it. If you want to make Jesus Lord, leader, and forgiver, if you need to return to the grace of God rather than effort or earning, if you just need a miracle in your life, we would love to pray with you and watch God do his thing, not by works, but by grace.